Welcome to the Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast, bringing people together through collaboration, creativity, and community all through the arts. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Maureen Buscarino, and I hope to inspire you and to help you discover amazing music and artists from around the world. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest. I had the pleasure of chatting with harpist, teacher, and Episcopal priest, Debbie Bruin Wilson. Here's Debbie's bio, taken from the Somerset Folk Harp Festival's website. Debbie's artistry as a musician and singer, and the combination of these skills with her passion for Robert Burns, results in music that echoes the wood notes wild, as Burns described the natural and unpretentious singing he liked best. An experienced performer and teacher, Debbie's repertoire also includes many traditional Scots ballads and Scottish jigs, reels, and strathsbays as well. She's also an ordained priest in the Episcopal Church, her current congregation being in Sparta, New Jersey. To date, she has three solo CDs, Dream of Caledonia, Roots and Wings, and Love Came Down at Christmas, a mix of original and traditional songs. Co-founder with Kathy D'Angelo of The Harper's Escape, which we'll talk about in this interview. She was on staff at The Escape for all 24 years and co-authored The Escape Tune Books, 10 Years of Tunes, Another 10 Years of Tunes, and The Parting Glass. These are fantastic books for anyone who wants to work on their repertoire of Irish and Scottish tunes. He has also published three song and harp arrangement collections, Burns for Burns and Wood Notes Wild, and her newest, Harp of My King, a compilation of Celtic tunes, new and old, for Christian worship, which also includes a CD companion. So today I am talking with Debbie Rune Wilson, and she is one of the harpists and, and performers and teachers who's going to be at the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. So Debbie, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate your time, and it's just so wonderful to see you. Uh, I wish it was in person, but this is the next best thing. So yeah. it's um, a crazy time right now. Definitely is. Um, so I did this series of interviews I'm using um, for the podcast are focusing on the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. So I like to start with questions about the festival. Okay. So, um, so I would love to know your history with the festival. I think back when it first started, when it was actually in Somerset, um, I was involved with it, I think for two years at that point. It was like right around the time I was headed off to seminary, I think, or, or shortly before that. So the first couple years I, I taught a couple different workshops. Um, and then there was a long stretch where I wasn't involved. And then I don't know how many years now it's been that I've been back. Has it been about five? I want to say, maybe. Oh, Kathy's saying 10. Has it been that long? <laughs> 10 years is what Kathy said. Boy, yes. I'm fine. You're having fun because I, I would have thought it was half that time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, um, a number, a goodly number of years, I guess, I can safely say. So, <laughs> even though I don't have the exact number. 
Uh, so how do you, um, how would you tell people about like the whole community feel of the festival or, you know, um, the energy of the festival? It's like a good family reunion. It's like a family reunion that you want to go to and hang out <laughs> with people. Um, because I, I think it's a very supportive community. And I think it's also supportive for beginners or people who are just kind of even wondering, do I want to learn to play this instrument? And they might just come and go through the exhibit hall one day or something like that. Um, so I think it's set up to be a supportive community for people who love the folk harp and want to play on the folk harp specifically. The story is Kathy and I were playing as, as a, a group, a duet, I guess. We were Harper's Bazaar, we called ourselves. And um, I was off taking a workshop that was being led by a couple of other very renowned folk harpers. And it had been built for people of, of all playing levels. And as we went through the weekend, I, I was feeling that the more beginner people were really getting left behind. And we were sitting in this one work, I, workshop in particular, and it was like there was a voice at my right ear that said, you and Kathy could do this <laughs> for beginners in Cape May. <laughs> and I was like, that's really weird. Okay. And when I got home, let a couple of days pass and I called up Kathy and I said, so I had this weird experience at this workshop because <laughs> it was like this voice was saying to me that you and I should do a weekend workshop for beginners specifically in Cape May. <laughs> and she said something to the effect of, well, what's even weirder is that Dennis, you know, her husband, Dennis works with someone who has a and b in Cape May. <laughs> And thus, the Harper's Escape was born. I mean, it, it just all came together. And um, I think why I love doing the escape still after all this time is because I remember what it was like to be an adult beginner. And I really want to help adult beginners to love this instrument that they're uh, infatuated with and I want them to kind of keep going and um, not get discouraged because I think as when you're an adult learner on an instrument it's really easy to get discouraged. Mm. So. so Kathy just said the first year of Harper's Escape was in 1992. 1992 yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And it's still and it's still going and people love it. Yeah you know well, I think because what I saw happening over the years with that is that a harp community was born out of that. So again, that idea of, of community and people being able to support one another and encourage one another to play and to try out new things. Um, when we added on the public concert part, that was a, it was a big step. And people would be afraid to play, and we would encourage them to do so. And 
the brave ones who agreed to stay for the concert and play always, I mean, the reaction was always, I am so glad that I did that. Thank you for pushing me to do that. Mm. Or maybe I should say encouraging. Sometimes it was pushing, sometimes it was pulling, <laughs> but it was always with a loving heart to, to try to help people just, you know, take that one step further uh, with their music mm. and with their confidence in themselves. Oh, absolutely. And and the music that they played at the concert was the music they were learning from like Thursday right. on. So, Friday. Oh, Friday, Friday on. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, especially for a beginner, that's, you know. It's a big thing. Yeah. Right. But I guess and in that's a, why we would play in the groups right. because that way you've got support. And then once people had been coming for a few years, then they started to gain the confidence to do a solo or to do like small groups with friends they had made at the escape. Mm. And that's one of the great things for me with Somerset is going to Somerset and seeing these people that I met years ago at the escape and seeing the friendships that they have, that they made at an escape that are still going on all these years later. Oh, sure. You know, I, I think that's, that's wonderful. And it warms my heart. It does. And the songbooks are incredible too the collection of tunes from the escape because then that gives everyone a collective repertoire to play yeah. in the sessions or just to get together and like oh well take out you know the harper's escape songs and we'll play those tunes so mm -hmm. and you've you've written a few of the arrangements um for those books as well as well yeah. as composing a couple of pieces too the teaching is on my ear so mm -hmm. do you find like there's a lot of a, a different challenge or a different you know, technique or approach, especially with beginners, when you're saying like, okay, no sheet music, learning by ear. <laughs> and then for the people who maybe played another instrument um, or who sing in a choir or something, that's the moment they panic because mm. they're like, oh no, I need the music. And no, it, it's a different skill set and it's a different way of learning. And I think you know, we're more comfortable with what we learn to do first. And so for people who maybe have spent years reading music, the thought of going off the page uh, can bring on a little, little bit of panic, a little anxiety, um, because they think, oh, I can't. They don't trust their ears to be connecting with their hands and their brains. You know, they're used to using their eyes, but not so much their ears. And to be in a workshop where someone's teaching by ear, then it's a whole different way that your brain is trying to integrate that. And I think most people can do it, even if they haven't really tried it before. But it's a matter of trying to help them overcome their anxiety about trying something new, trying to learn something in a different way. Um, and I say that based on my own anxiety and, and with trying to do new stuff uh, musically. With thinking like, I can't do that, you know. But uh, if I can get myself out of the way, I usually find that, oh wait, actually I can do that, hmm. look, you know. With enough support and encouragement and um, talking my anxiety down, you can do it. And you and Kathy have created such a warm environment. I think people do feel comfortable to be that vulnerable and and try so I, I think so yeah you know that I think that's what we've always aimed for 
is to try to be encouraging and not um, and not discouraging, mm. and and honoring people's anxiety too. I mean, you know, sometimes I've had conversations with people in between, you know, at a break at the escape or something. Um, we're just trying to talk somebody's anxiety down. But no, you can do this. Just have fun with it. If you you don't have to be using both hands, you know, just try the melody line. Yeah. Uh, ease into it. Definitely. Because I, I think it's good to be able to, to do both, to learn by ear and to be able to read because there's so much wonderful music out there and that is in the folk traditions that's going to be lost if people aren't playing it. And um, so that's, um, I guess I'm coming at it a little bit from that angle too, of wanting to encourage people, well, maybe you can only find this tune in this obscure collection somewhere, but you heard it played and you want to learn it. So go ahead and get the music and, and work through it. Right, right. You, know, you can't always find a recording of something that you want to learn if that makes sense. Oh, it absolutely does. And I mean, your scholarship, you know, with especially Robert Burns' uh, music as well. What inspired you to, to study like like Scottish music and Robert Burns and to, you know, study at St. Andrews? Well, let's see. Part of that is my own obstinate nature. Um, <laughs> I am more English and Scot of more English and Scottish ancestry. And my husband's more like Irish, Scottish, English. Um, and, and so we were taking Irish lessons early in our marriage. And then we had kids. And, and so the Irish lessons went out the window for me. But he, he kept pursuing them. And I thought, well, you know, my heritage is, is more Scottish. And um, so I wanted to get a little deeper into that. And I also, at some point early on in there, discovered the band Ossian and just fell in love with their music and also with um, Andy M. Stewart, the band that he was part of. Silly Wizard. Silly Wizard. And I just love these tunes and the songs and decided that, well, that, that's kind of, that's what I want to play. I want to be playing that kind of stuff. And um, when I uh, was taking my harp lessons, when I first started, my harp teacher had been asked to run a Scottish harp competition through the Scottish Harp Society of America at the Bonnie Bray Scottish Games up here in, in North Jersey. And so she said, well, you're interested in this kind of music, so I think that you should enter this competition. <laughs> and playing nine months when I entered that competition. And it was, it was a total disaster. And, oh. I, and I mean that in all sincerity and truth. It, my anxiety just overran me. And it was a horrible, horrible experience. Oh. Darcy Fair was the judge. And she and my teacher came up to me afterward when I was packing up the harp and ready to slink away. And I still, I don't remember what Darcy said. And, and uh, Carol Thompson, I had a, a, an experience with her, I think, the next year when I competed there. Um, but they were both very encouraging. And they said, don't give up. Keep playing. You've got something there. You know, keep going. Um, and so I did. With their encouragement, I kept going. Um, and because I loved the music so much 
so so that was that was kind of this this odd path into it and you know all the songs of Robert Burns so many people had recorded them the people I was listening to and I just absolutely love them I love that style I loved his poetry and so that kind of triggered my my interest with all of that and at some point in there I thought about coming going back to school I, I had been a nurse practitioner and uh, eventually that kind of morphed into playing the harp and, and teaching as, as my career. I eased out of nursing and eased into the harp world. But I was playing around with the idea of going back to school for a PhD in folklore. Hmm. And that just didn't work out. There were like the program I had hoped to go to had closed down and had been moved to another university that was further away. It was this whole big thing. And then, but in the course of that, I found out about this program at the University of St. Andrews that was a certificate program in Scottish traditional song. And so I ended up getting involved with that and uh, met Sheena Wellington through that. She was the, the lead teacher in that program and a wonderful singer. And she opened uh, the Scottish Parliament when they opened again <clears throat> several years ago. And that also was just a great experience of being immersed in the Scottish music world. That's incredible. I, l I love how the roads all kind of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but the harp, I mean, how did you... Did you know someone that played the harp? Or or is it... Because you knew Kathy or... My husband, Brad, and I were into all things Celtic. Mm. And we were uh, going to these Celtic festivals in New Jersey and... Uh, I guess like Eastern Pennsylvania and saw people playing harps as part of the whole thing. Sometimes there was a harp competition. Sometimes it was just people on stage. And there was one woman in particular who kept showing up and I have not seen her probably in a couple decades now, but at that time she was playing at a number of these festivals and at one of them, she had a booth. And so I went up to talk to her. And that's actually how I found my harp teacher. Hmm. Um, because she was listed as one of the teachers in the area through the Scottish Harp Society. So um, I connected with my, my teacher and um, Simone Coonrod. That's her name. She was in Upper Montclair. And I rented a harp from her and, and started lessons. Um, my daughter, Kate, was three months old when I started lessons. Wow. And so that's how I, I always have to count back to see how old, how long have I been playing the harp? I think of how old Kate was. Um, when I was pregnant with Kate, Brad and I went to the Mine Street Coffee House in New Brunswick to see Lori Riley play. And that is where I first met Kathy. Oh. I was immensely pregnant with Kate. Kathy was immensely pregnant with Emma. And um, Kathy was hosting that night. And she and Lori played a, a tune at the end. Kathy had her harp there with her and we struck up a conversation. And then uh, I still, I was not playing the harp at that point though. <clears throat> so um, I don't know when it was, it was like a year later or something. We, Kathy and I met again at Ellen Tepper's house when Ellen did a harp circle. 
And that was the first time. And Kathy was like, hey, I remember you. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of it. You know, so we, uh, and then Kathy had a harp circle at her house a little sometime after that. And then, you know, that kind of, a couple of Jersey girls hanging out playing the harp and it all went from there. So. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so terrific. Have you ever wanted to learn how to play the harp or find out more about the instrument? Well, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. The festival will take place online, so no matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to take workshops and listen to the concerts, meet the harp makers, and find out more about the harpists from around the world. Celtic, jazz, classical, electric harp, Paraguayan harp, and more. So check out the festival at somersetharpfest.com. That's Somerset, S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T. Hope to see you there. So as an adult beginner you understand like you know and and love to teach adult beginners i mean or uh, beginners in general so the basically beginner program that that you started what are some other pieces of of the of the um the basically beginner program or i try to start out like with the the basic basics which includes how to use an electronic tuner and tune your heart because inevitably uh at least one, sometimes many more than that, people have their harp tuned to a different frequency. Instead oh. of using A440, they hit the button and it's notched it up a little bit. So, um, and I learned that the hard way. You know, you start playing with a bunch of people and you hear someone's harp is consistently just like, mm. ooh, way out there. But I tuned it. And then I asked to look at their tuner and I find out, I mean, one year the woman was up at A445 oh. or 40. I mean, it was really yeah. a big gap there. So we I talk about that, how to tune it, um, and basic care of your hands, like just warming up before you start to play. And I explain that, you know, a lot of what I'm saying to you is stuff that I learned as a beginner. It doesn't mean that I always do it, but I should be doing. And... Um, you know, it's good to learn the rules so that you know when it's okay to break the rules. That's something else. Uh, so when I'm talking about, you know, where to place your hands on the string or which fingers to use for a certain interval in a scale or in a tune that we might play later in, in the class. Um, to learn the consistency so that then when you've got a tune you're working on where that's not going to work, you know how to work around that to get the best sound for that tune. You know, you don't have to be so rigid, um, but it's good to know what the, uh, the standard placements are so that you can work around that later if you need. And I, I spend a lot of time, I think, just trying to, to reassure people and alleviate their anxiety and encourage them that, yes, you can do this. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a big, big part, like just helping people you know, have the confidence to, to try because that's yeah. the biggest thing is just taking that first step to, you know, um, I remember when I was, I, um, 
first time I went to Somerset and I was like looking at all the harps. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I sat down at uh, the Dusty Strings booth and, and I was so afraid to touch the harp and a harpist came up to me and she's like, go ahead. And I started playing. She's like, oh, like, she's like, you have to get a harp. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so it's calling you. So just that little bit of encouragement, I think really helped a lot. So at the Somerset Folk Harp Festival, what have you created to help encourage beginners? So at Somerset, there's kind of this overarching track for beginners if they want to enter into that. And I think it would be a good idea to do that. And that starts out with the boot camp on Thursday, um, which came out of a conversation that Carol Thompson and I had several years ago and then approached Kathy about doing a, a kind of a whole beginner's day so that people could have this immersion experience. So, you know, starting from how to tune your harp to good basic hand positions and good basic exercises to use when you get home. And if we get that far during the day, a couple of, of basic tunes to work on that we learn by ear and we also give you the music for at the end of the day, so you can go home and practice all these techniques that we've tried to roll together there. And um, so the, the boot camp and the beginner's booths that I teach on Saturday, uh, Friday and Saturday are all aimed to help ease someone into a partnership with their harp. That's how I look at it. Um, as a beginner, it, it's kind of like you're beginning this relationship with a person except it's your instrument and you know what expectations do you have as the player and what are you hoping to get out of the harp and get out of that relationship and I try to help people navigate that and to help them feel comfortable enough that they are willing to put in the time every day even if it's just like 15 minutes a day to put their hands on the harp and to play some music, or do some exercises, which is playing music, and just keep working at that relationship with your harp, because that is what's going to help you to expand your playing abilities and to be able to uh, play like some of the people you hear on stage, maybe, or that you're sitting next to in one of the other workshops that are open up to, to every level. And all of that also then kind of leads into the Harper's Escape Time on Sunday, where again, the beginners, we're all immersed together there and learning a tune by ear and just getting to practice all of those things that the other beginner workshops up to Sunday morning have tried to help you put together. So it's actually taking some of the stuff that maybe at first might feel more theoretical. Like, what do you mean about my hand position? Why do you want me to use, you know, these two fingers instead of these two fingers or something like that? Um, and with the escape tune, we try to put all that together. Plus to have the experience of, of playing with other people and to learn that, you know, each each player brings something unique to that whole experience. And um, I guess just overall with the whole beginner track, I want to help people find their voice on the harp. 
you know, they're attracted to this instrument, maybe they've bought it or they're renting it and, and they're investing a lot of financial capital in this. Well, how about some emotional and spiritual capital as well? And uh, I guess for me, that's kind of where the music and the spirituality kind of, kind of meet and come together. Can you speak to your spiritual connection to the harp? I found once I really started playing the harp and practicing and, and committing to it, um, I found it to be a very healing experience. And because it, it was touching something within me that I had no idea an instrument could do. Um, and I think part of that is, is the vibrational quality of the, of the instrument. I think it's also the fact that we're kind of, we're in close contact with it. You know, we kind of hug our harps as we play. And it, something about that combination of the vibration and the wood touches something within us. So I had this whole kind of thing going on just from playing the harp. And as I kind of grew in my musicianship and, and was asked to play at church, uh, would do some preludes at church, and then um, was encouraged to, to do an open mic. And then at the open mic, people said, oh, you should be playing at like Borders and Barnes and Noble with those other people who play. And I started doing that and playing weddings and whatnot. And people would come up to me either when I took a break or at the end when I was packing up. <clears throat> and they would start talking about these deep emotional and spiritual things that were going on in their lives. And I thought, that's kind of odd. I mean, I'd had some experiences like that before in my life, just, you know, standing in line at the movies with my family and somebody starts talking to me and my husband says, well, how long have you known her? I'm like, two minutes. <laughs> um, so it wasn't a total out of the blue thing for me, but I found that something about the heart kind of magnified that. So I started listening to all of that and uh, found my way to seminary and actually chose the seminary. I was given two choices by our bishop at the time. And uh, the one seminary uh, during the interview process, I said, well, you know, I play the Celtic harp and, and this music is very important to me. And, um, how would that go over here? Would there be a place for me here with my harp? And at the one seminary, I was told, no, I was told point blank, no, because we, this is the music we learn, this is the music we do, and that's it. And I said, huh. And the seminary where I ended up attending, Virginia Theological Seminary, they were like, wow, you play the Celtic harp, that is so cool. You could play a chapel, and you could do this, and you could do that, and it was, it was seen, they understood that this was part of me. This was who, part of who I am. And this is gonna be part of who I am as a priest because it's part of who I am as a person. Um, and so that, that was wonderful. So I was encouraged to lead a, a Celtic evening prayer while I was there, I put that together. Had a small group of fellow musicians. We called ourselves the Celtic group because there were other groups on campus that would play and uh, Probably the most fun we had with that was uh, 
the arch, one of the archbishops, was he the archbishop? One of the archbishops in the Church of Ireland um, came for a visit and we played at his reception and he was just tickled to see and hear the Celtic music. And I think we had two harps and a concertina and a mandolin and a cello and a flute. I think that's who we were. So it, it was just great fun. So I've tried to bring that with every church I have served. There have been, I, I don't bring out the harp every week because I, I can't navigate leading the service and doing this. It's difficult to do that. But I have done it at times. And uh, in this new age of Zoom, trying to figure out how to, what I need is the time to do it is to just sit down and record a few things that I would then have that I could use as preludes or whatever, instead of having to, you know, jump back and forth. But so I, I bring that appreciation uh, of music with me to, to being a priest and to realizing that not, uh, how do I say this without offending everyone who believes differently from me, but you, know, you don't need an organ to make music in a church. There are so many ways to express your faith or your spirituality. You don't have to be locked into one way of doing it. And as I've studied um, kind of the, the history of Celtic music in the church, I, I just had this, I had read that some of the ancient Celtic monks traveled with a very small harp. It would have like eight strings, just an octave and they would tie it on their belts and they would use that. They would use that to accompany themselves as they sang the Psalms. And I just thought that was such a great image. And St. Columba of Iona is my favorite saint for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is he supposedly had a beautiful and very strong singing voice. And I have an icon of him where he's got this tiny little heart and uh, that, that really speaks to me. It's bringing yourself and your love of music into your spirituality. Um, it's just part of it. And we all have that. And I like to encourage people to find that connection for themselves. And I, I have found over the years that a lot of people who play the harp get that. You know, at some point they have an experience where like, whoa, this is more than me just playing tunes that I like. This is moving me somewhere else in my life. And I think that's a beautiful part of playing the harp and being part of that harp community. So was that part of your influence to put together the CD and sheet music, Harp of My King? Yeah, yeah, pretty directly. Uh, some of those arrangements came from when I was leading the Celtic evening prayer at seminary and then others that I had done along the way. Um, I've gotten more recently into uh, centering prayer and kind of more contemplative prayer. And part of that is sometimes chanting. And I've, I have a whole bunch of chants that I keep writing. It's just like a little snippet from a, a Bible passage or from a devotional reading um, and you know you put a simple melody to it and it like the Taze music that came out of, of France 
uh, something to help people just kind of calm down and center and get themselves into a prayerful place. So I'm doing more of that and I have no firm plans. So like in my head, I would like to put together a collection of the chants that I've, that I've done. So maybe that's something for uh, the next year or two that I would like to, to pull together. I have pulled out recently a song, The Land of the Leo, which was written by Lady Nairn. And for many years, a lot of people thought Robert Burns wrote it. Hmm. But it was really written by uh, you know, this aristocratic woman. And um, I guess maybe with the pandemic and everything going on, that's this wistful quality of that song, the words, and then the tune that it's set to. Um, have really pulled at me. So I've been working on that and trying to work that up. Oh, beautiful. I can't wait to hear it once you have it. <laughs> maybe your, your next album, you can have that maybe, on. Yeah, or maybe by Somerset time I'll have it. And I don't know. Do that at the escape or something. Yeah, yeah. So how, how many albums do you have like now? How many recordings? Four. Mm -hmm, okay. Yes. Yeah, four. There, there were three that were you know, just kind of my music and traditional music. And then the fourth one is The Harp of My King, mm. um, which was just me playing the arrangements that are in the book, with the same name, which are more spiritual or um, religious. Right, right. Songs. Yeah. Have you, um, are there any congregations that are using those books that you, you know, for their services at all? Or um, I know of besides me, um, I know of at least one other person who uses them in her congregation. And the feedback she's given me is that people really like these arrangements. So, oh. so that makes sense. Yeah, that's beautiful. Make that. Yeah, it's, it's always nice to kind of get a little bit of a change from the... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Um, so where can people find you if they want to find more information about you and your music and your workshops and everything that you're doing? Well, for Somerset, go to the Somerset Folk Art um, website. I do have a website, but it is very out of date. I, I have to say, one of the things I had hoped to do this year until this whole pandemic thing hit was actually have someone redo the website for me. Connect with me through Somerset would probably be the best thing okay. for right now. Sure, okay. And uh, and I think your music's up on the uh, You Gotta Have Harp page too, I th think. I think so, Okay. yes. And I am still connected with CD Baby. Oh, good, uh, okay, I'll put that up there too. Uh, I, I still, several times a year, somehow, it, you know, the, the uh, folks are finding their way there, so. Yeah. Debbie, thank you so much for spending the time today to chat with me. Uh, good luck with everything that you're doing, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening to Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast. Dive into the show notes at moonoverthetrees.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast.